Hey guys, it's Ashers. And Petto. So we had this interview that we did a couple of weeks ago with Hank Pattinson. Um, and it was a really, we really enjoyed having Hank on the show. We enjoyed the discussion. It was a great discussion. However, we didn't quite think that it fit the criteria for a typical on Wednesdays we talk weird episode. Uh, in fact, it was it was so groundbreaking, original, groundbreakingly original, and so awesome, and so off the charts that we thought that it would be a great opportunity to kind of start a spinoff project, um, interviewing different creative types that make different stuff. And, you know, Pat and I both, we have, uh, you know, aside from, you know, myself, everybody knows I'm, I'm a full-time 40 investigator, right? So, I mean, the, the world of the weird's a given. Um, however, I kind of have a, a background, um, if you guys follow me on social media at all, in like the horror community. And, um, you know, Pat's also, a, he's a filmmaker. So we both kind of have this passion for for creativity. And, you know, so we decided to kind of do a, um, a spinoff about people who who make stuff. Right. That's the only prerequisite for the show and the guests that we'll talk to uh, is that they, they make stuff. They work in different creative mediums. Um, another episode that we did in the past that would have been a perfect uh, fit for this would have been the interview that we did with Tony Wash, who was a filmmaker from Chicago and um, kind of had one foot in the, in the cryptid community because he made a movie about the rake. Mm -hmm. But um, more or less, that, that interview was about filmmaking and the filmmaking process. And stuff like that, stuff with what you're about to hear right now with Hank, that's going to be better suited for uh, our, our new podcast venture, People Who Make Stuff. So, yeah, we, we eventually did the, uh, you know, we did the Hank episode kind of um, as a way to introduce the world of we did it during uh, the month of April when we did the um, like the kind of drugs theme and <laughs> conspiracy and, you know, government, you know, drug involvement and things like that. And Hank kind of right. has, a, has a hand in, and stuff like that. Um, so, Pat, why don't you tell us a little bit about Hank? Yeah, so he's a podcaster and comic book artist. Uh, he's the, the brains behind the death by media man podcast and the videos we'll get into, he gets into the specifics of what he does with the videos, uh, and, in the show. And it's, it's, it's super creative and super cool. How I came across Hank was through the King Mobcast podcast, which is a podcast that goes through every, uh, issue of the invisibles, which is a vertigo comic from the nineties. Uh, written by Grant Morrison, who's like super famous now, but this was one of his original works. I think it was his, one of his first creative owned, creator owned comics that he came up with. And me and me and Hank initially bonded over that and found out that we had a whole shit ton more in common. And uh, like I said, there's definitely an, a, a lot of uh, hallmarks here of the Wednesday We Talk Weird podcast, but it, it, there's also, we felt that it was a great jumping off point just to make something new which is kind of what i'm all about and what asher's is all about too is 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 breaking new ground and making stuff and uh, that's what our guests are going to be into and hopefully that's what you're into too so eventually i mean you know this episode it is both pat and i um some of the episodes might not be both of us um some of us might be i mean it just depends on um kind of scheduling and and how you know how you guys enjoy the episodes and whatnot but um you know for now we are putting you know this one out on the under the on wednesdays we talk weird um just to kind of give you guys a feel for the episodes themselves and kind of what to expect in the future um but for f future episodes um you can find people who make stuff anywhere you listen to podcasts Rock and roll. So without further ado, here is the uh, official, I guess technically it's a lost episode, right? That's kind of fun. That's kind of a scandal. 
<laughs> no, it's not. It's from a couple weeks ago. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it was only a couple weeks ago. But all right. Well, bonus content, guys. Um, but yeah, no, yeah. With, without further ado, um, here's the episode with uh, Hank Pattinson. Uh, let us know what you guys think. Uh, the feedback's always welcome. And again, if you like it, make sure that you subscribe to the People Who Make Stuff podcast. So this week, we have Hank Pattinson with us. Uh, cyber, cyberpunk hillbilly, writer of stories, and feeder of crows. He's responsible for the Death by Media Man podcast and videos. You can find him on Twitter at H-L-H-P-A-T-T-I-S-O-N. Hank, how you doing? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing really great. Thank you so much for having me. So Hank first popped up on my radar uh, because of uh, another podcast, the King Mob um King Mab Mobcast that kind of does a episode uh, issue by issue bre- breakdown of the Invisibles comic book. And I know we've talked about them uh, a little bit on the show because I've been trying to get them to come on and uh, unfortunately schedules have not aligned. So I settled for the next best thing. Another fan of the Invisibles podcast, Hank. Uh, and I think that's where we first connected, right? It was probably through that on Twitter. I'm pretty sure that's that's how we discovered each other. Yeah. Twitter's um, a great resource, isn't it? I mean, you can just talk to anybody on there and it's just it's not like Facebook. Like with Facebook, you have to get personal with those people. And like usually it's like your friends and family and whatnot. You can't post dick shit, dick jokes on your Facebook page, but you you can do whatever you want on Twitter. You absolutely can. And you can also harass celebrities, which is my favorite part of it. <laughs> That's why like I could take a break from Facebook. I could take a break from Instagram, but like I need to be on Twitter. And I need and I can have like my Instagram and Facebook private. Like that doesn't bother me. But having a private Twitter is like, why would you even really have a Twitter at all? Yeah, it's weird, yeah, isn't like, it? Yeah, I never harass. understand that. Yeah, if you can't harass Elon Musk, like what's the point of, of being <laughs> on there? So um so like that was I think honestly, it probably wasn't the Invisibles that first uh put you on my radar. I think it was the episode of your podcast that you did where you were talking about slapstick, which is so like bizarre to me because that was one of like i don't know why it was such an influential comic for me in the 90s but it was something that i like latched onto as a kid and it was only four issues it was a mini series and i didn't even know that they brought the character back and kind of rewrote him into um i don't know whatever groups he was in and stuff but i know that other other artists or other writers have used him kind of within the past couple years for stuff but uh just as a kid growing up it was this comic that like just kind of gelled with me and to see somebody else um, actually go through the trouble of creating a podcast episode about it, like, blew my fucking mind. And uh, that's exactly what you did. Slapstick is something really special. But it's it's not just slapstick. I think the really cool thing about slapstick is, for me, it's Lynn Kamansky. Lynn Kamansky, who created uh, Slapstick with James Fry. The other two big projects for me from him around that time period was that's when he was doing Ghost Rider 2099 and he was doing Morbius, which I think for like 90s comics are all three of those are these massive fucking overlooked overlooked gems is such a cliche but i work in a fucking comic book store so a lot of those tropes just come out of my mouth accidentally have you uh have you read ghost rider 2099 no i i didn't get into a lot of the 2099 uh comics i the spider-man one i read for a little bit and um that was about it okay uh, here's here's what's going to happen is like, like this is really, this is going to be some fun foreshadowing. Okay. Everybody, everybody who's listening out there in radio land, you 
I'm going to send you a link to Ghost Rider 2099, and we're going to do a follow-up conversation about that because <laughs> it is the singular, I don't even give a fuck about Transmetropolitan. I mean, I do, but Ghost Rider 2099 is the greatest and most beautifully drawn and written cyberpunk comic you will ever fucking read, where wow. it's uh, Ghost Rider fucking kills cops. Uh, what's the, there's a bit where he's killing these cops and he's like, fucking, uh, what are you, serve and protect? Where's the justice for me? Hey, I mean, I don't want to do emulations of it here, but I'm just going right. to tell you it's Lynn Kamansky is a fucking he was a, an anarchist in that same way of Grant Morrison, like somebody who fucking like put it in his work and was kind of a punk rock asshole about it. Like even just you remember there's Ramones references, which I know seems superficial and slapstick, but who else did it? Not who back else then had it shit like that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Back then it, it actually meant something. Um well, I always like in slapstick, there's that bit where they're talking about going to a Ramones concert and they sing a little bit of 24 hours or uh, I want to be sedated. We didn't fucking have YouTube. I'd never heard that song before. And I remember going to school and asking friends of mine, what do you think this song sounds like? And then fucking like flash forward to now. And it's like, oh, that's one of the most famous fucking punk rock icon songs of all time. Like, it's a very obvious reference to make. I didn't fucking know what that was when I was living in northern Canada in the mid 90s. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a huge Undertones fan. And I got that 100% from the Invisibles. And yeah, it was <sighs> that was geek culture back in the day is that everything was it was hand me down. You know what I mean? Somebody had to tell you about something because you weren't going to, if it wasn't mainstream, you weren't going to read about it. You weren't going to see it. You weren't going to hear it on the radio. Uh, if you were lucky enough to have a college radio station in your town, maybe you caught some stuff on there. But then once again, it depended on the DJs. And as someone that worked in college radio for a couple of years, some of the DJs played the same shit that you would hear on the mainstream radio stations. They weren't trying to break new ground or play new shit. And well, I wanted to stay on the air. So they had to play what people wanted to hear and you know just fucking play me that hit song again right right and it it comics i think were uh another medium for um for just for for an information exchange for stuff to get kind of passed along and uh for you to be exposed to stuff if if you didn't see it on you know network tv if it wasn't on you know abc whatever the uh the friday night like sitcom block was you know um that's what comics kind of filled that void for so uh I'm sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to ask, uh, with The Invisibles, did you ever get a chance? Did you read it in singles or did you read in trade? So I, you know, I think about this when uh, when I listen to the Mobcast because I'm trying to figure out exactly when it came in. I know that I had not, I must have started at the end of Volume 2 or during the break from when Volume 3 started. Because I know that I read Volume 3 in its entirety. And that was uh, before everything that Grant Morrison had ever written had been collected in trade paperback. So you would have, like, his first seven issues of Animal Man that you could pick up. But that was it, right? Or I think there was um, there was the first trade for Volume 1. And there was probably, like, they were starting to trade Volume 2. But um, I remember when we got to, when, when I started reading Volume 3, I didn't know who the fuck any of like the division six people were because they were not mentioned in volume two and because they had not trade paperback volume one yet in its entirety, there was a lot of gaps. And, um, when I got to the end of the invisibles volume three, it was kind of anticlimactic for me because I didn't really have a full grasp of what the fuck was going on. 
uh, it really wasn't until at which is fine. I mean, now I've like I have the huge omnibus thing now that I I probably read once a year, but um, yeah, I, I I read it when it was in its issues, but I didn't probably grasp in its entirety until it was completely collected in trades, which was probably another I don't know two years later, three years later. I think that's that's actually really close to what my experience was to some regards as well, where at least you like reading it all piecemeal, getting volumes two and three long before volume one. And again, that thing of like, I kept waiting for all these pieces to be revealed. And then once you see it all, it's like, oh, no, a bunch of these things were just mysteries that were never fucking revealed. <laughs> yeah, um, right. What the fuck? Like this always sticks out in my head of like that bit when they're invading uh, Mason Lang's compound. And there's the dude who says to King Mob of like, you remember me when I was standing by the flagpole? I thought that dude was going to be something for a really long time. And now when I look back and I'm like, oh, that was just a throwaway bit of weirdness in a single panel. It had no impact on anything that I've ever found in any of the rest of it. Yeah, it was it was interesting, like the stuff that like that he dovetailed back around in volume three um and then the stuff that was just kind of a mystery the whole way out but i did i did read um jla the whole his whole entire run of that i got so i read comics back in like the 80s and 90s um when it was when all that stuff was kind of on but even then i wasn't like super following anything it was like i always seemed to have like a few random claremont x-men issues that would be like part five of eight of some mini series that i had no fucking clue what was going on or like i'd pick up the annuals every once in a while i wasn't like an avid comic fan i did read slapstick in its entirety which was kind of a, a, a not very um wasn't routine for me back then but when i was in high school probably like around 95 96 um a comic book store opened by my house and i went to check it out one day and i saw the second trade paperback for preacher and that had a blurb mm. from Kevin Smith on it. And oh, I that's was the a, first one, I think. I'm sorry, I'm fucking, I'm, I'm nerd splaining. I'm so no, sorry. No, it might, it might have been, it, but I, it was, I just no, because it might have had a quote from him on the first one, and the second one was the, the one that he wrote the foreword for. Because they made fun of him for the first one. Yeah, that's that's yeah. yeah. Better than going to the movies, especially one of yours. Maybe one yeah. of yours. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that was kind of my reintroduction to comics was Preacher. And um, so I, I had gotten the first two trades of that, and then I started reading it religiously. <laughs> and um, from the letters to the editor column, of course, then I would read anything Grant Morrison or Garth Ennis did. I read all of uh, Hitman. And uh, never went back and picked up the Hellblazers because, once again, they weren't collected in trades. And the single issues were, like, really expensive. And I knew that there was way too much with Constantine and all that shit. And I was just like, eh, I'm not getting into that. Um, but then he would uh, – Garth Ennis would always pimp Grant Morrison and checked out uh, JLA. And probably um, he did some Flash crossover stuff. And I think that was just kind of it from there. And then those were the two authors that I followed. And I always followed the writers. I didn't necessarily care about the characters so much. Um, but Peter David was another one I picked up on. I read Ooh, his Supergirl yeah. run. Yeah, that was pretty solid. Um, the Flash was the only comic book character where I would check out no matter who the writer was. Because I really liked, at that point, they were trying to incorporate so much like fringe science into like what the Flash could do based on like how we understood physics at the time. You know what I mean? It, it just seemed like they were, that was always more interesting to me. It was kind of nerdier. 
Uh, and Wally West was just kind of like a doofus. And I liked Impulse. I like the whole entire Impulse run for some fucking reason. Well, and I then, think of all that, I think that's all like, again, that's a big Mark Wade section and a section of time when Mark Wade was just really fucking good, like just nailing it. Like, I think that's around, I forget, there's a couple of other really big titles he was doing around that time. And they're just, it's Kingdom like a Come? real solid that, meat and potatoes. Was Mark Wade Kingdom Come? That's what I was trying to remember. I'm pretty sure Wade is Kingdom Come. Yeah, a lot of his stuff was kind of like, I don't know. Like, I put him in the same camp as, like, Ron Mars or, like, like not bad. But, they like, if you saw their name on something, you knew it wasn't going to be shitty. But it wasn't the same way that, like, some Joe Kelly stuff was or, like, um, or Garth Ennis or Grant Morrison or one of those guys where you were like, oh, fucking cool. You know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't it would be edgy, I guess. And as a teenager no. – that was very important to me was that it was like either edgy or it was Grant Morrison's JLA, which was like non edgy, but like super fucking heroic and like epic, you know, in its own right. Yeah. Sometimes I go back and I try to like pick apart the pieces and discern exactly what it is that makes that run of uh, that justice league. So good. I got, I got this theory about writing, which is, I, I don't know, it's not much of a fucking theory on anything, but like it, that, that when you're looking at any piece of something in terms of a story, there are two aspects of it. There is, um, there's what it's about and there's how it's written and there's stuff. Um, do you ever read Poppy Z Bright? No. It's a vampire novelist. Uh, they, they transitioned halfway through their career. They're a really interesting person, but, um, I don't give a fuck about vampire novels, but this person's style of writing was so fucking fun to read that I didn't care that they were writing about something I didn't care about. Whereas the flip side is there are things where it's like, like, you know, I just like reading about this thing. Like you said, with the flash, like there's things where you just like, I don't give a fuck. I just like being in this world. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah, that's kind of what we were we were talking about that Manson book today that I was reading, and uh, that was kind of the basis of a show that we did. Which <laughs> I, w- I won't play with like dates and times now because it'll get all fucking confusing. But yeah, don't uh, confuse the audience. Leave them alone. <laughs> <We've>, <laughs> are, we tried that. Probably, week, but it didn't work. They're probably already thrown for a fucking loop in our fifteen minute diatribe about comics that only us appreciate. But um, yeah, it. it uh, the, the Manson book kind of it's one of those things where I loved it because it dealt with uh, Charles Manson. It dealt with uh, the lurid sex and drugs landscape of the 60s. It dealt with the CIA and conspiracies and it dealt with drugs and MK Ultra. And if I think I was like a true crime aficionado reading that book, all the non-true crime stuff would, could potentially bore me. Or if I was a conspiracy nut, I wouldn't want to hear about, you know, uh, drug parties with Warren Beatty and Roman Polanski in Hollywood in 1967. But as you know, one of those things where it was a well-written book, but it also covered all these different topics that kind of like flipped my switches. So it, it just happened to become like this perfect read for me. Um, but let's, let's talk about the invisibles a little bit because that, I feel like that ties in closer to like uh, this show. And uh, once again, it's also kind of where our past first intersected. What first drew you to the invisibles? For me, uh, it's funny. We were you were talking about Garth Ennis, so so read comics all my life. Discovered Preacher through Wizard, and then I picked up this book called Writers on Comic Book Writing. It was a book oh, yeah. of interviews. Have you yeah. read this? Oh yeah, yeah. 
So that was my introduction to Graham Morrison. I was wow. reading it. Uh, I picked that thing up for the Garth Ennis interview. I had no idea who Graham Morrison was. And then I read this dude <laughs> talking about that, that he saw aliens. And the thing that always touched me about it was that he didn't sound insane, that he, he knew that he was talking about a personal subjective experience. And at the same time, he was talking about fucking aliens and magic like it was a real thing without being like an asshole about it. And it was based on that that I was like, all right, I want to fucking read this guy's works. I want to see what he's all about and fell into the invisibles, fell into it in that way that you do when you're fucking like 19 or 20 and you don't have anything to believe in. And then he offers you this thing and fucking like. Then it's suddenly a- it's 20 years later and you're 42 and you're working at a comic book store with a couple of dorky tattoos and you're like, what the fuck is going on, man? Well, this part's fun. So yeah. um, so for the, for our audience, and I've tried to get Asher's to read The Invisibles and she's been she's been hesitant. Um, although I just I just suffered through 400 pages of that fucking Manson book. Like, trust me, if you were that was if you, for me, that's not <laughs> I did it for the show. I did it for our art. Well, um, you still haven't watched uh, Repo, the genetic opera yet. So have you watched The Men Who Stare at Goats? All right. Then I watched Shin Godzilla. <laughs> I watched Shin Godzilla for you. And it was um, worth it. So <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, it was fucking awesome. But uh, so Grant Morrison and the Invisibles, he. Uh, and it was hash. It was not DMT, but he, um, I guess back, I guess to talk about Grant Morrison first, you have to talk a little bit about Alan Moore and back in the eighties, Alan Moore is the guy that's responsible for Watchmen, which of course, by now everybody knows the Watchmen franchise. Okay. And he kind of had this, um, persona of being like, this magician type guy that yeah he was a, he was a comic book writer but he was he was very much into the cult and he would put stuff in his his writing and i guess swamp thing had a lot to do with the occult i never read it um the only were you the one that recommended promethea to me oh yeah you Jesus. really need to read promethea i like, did that's no no no, a... no no i oh, did. did i read oh, the whole okay. fucking oh, series right. yeah it was okay <laughs> I don't, I don't, why do I need to read a comic based on the fucking tarot deck? Which is what he did is the kind of stuff that he does, right? Where he does, it's all about, you know, Egyptian mythology and the cycle of death and rebirth and all this shit. And, um, what, I mean, we, hold on, just let me do the, let me do the Alan Moore thing. So like, that's who Alan Moore was. And he was very big in, in the eighties and Grant Morrison was kind of, initially at least and i think he's definitely surpassed this but he, he was kind of like alan moore 2.0 or if alan moore was this curmudgeonly old like ceremonial magic type guy grant morrison was like the drop acid raver you know uh type chaos magician uh that talked to aliens and all this shit right so that was kind of his persona and a the story, the interview that he gave in uh, the book that you had mentioned, he talks about an incident where he was in Kathmandu and uh, he, I believe he smoked hash, although it sounds like a DMT trip, which maybe it was, but I want to say it was hash. And basically he met, uh, he had contact with some kind of intelligence from outside our dimension. And the things that he was shown and the things that were downloaded into him kind of formed the basis of the comic book, The Invisibles. And The Invisibles had a, has 
itself has a lot of magical subtext to it. And in the uh, letters to the editor column that he would, you know, be in the back of every issue, he very much went into sigil magic and how to do stuff and kind of give like, you know, just, just enough information to make people do crazy, dangerous shit. Um, and it, it kind of that coupled with like, you know, it really was this like cultural milestone for its time. Like it, it the, like we talked earlier about the drugs or the music, uh, the music and the drugs and the different counterculture things that I talked about. Yeah. It was a comic book about this team of, I don't want to say superheroes, but heroes that are battling against, you know, the forces of evil that are trying to take over our universe. Um, and that's just like a, a, a reader's digest version of what the story is actually about. Um, but he put a lot of in and put a lot more stuff into it that like, like you said, if you were kind of a lost out of high school, you know, 18 to 22 year old trying to figure out what the fuck was going on, this uh, could definitely catch you as the right time and, and shape the trajectory of the rest of your life, which it did for me too. You know, the invisibles had a huge, huge effect on my life. And that's what it was designed to do. You know, he talks about that so much about the like the invisibles was a spell designed to create invisibles agents. And now here we all are the fucking bastard children of Graham Morrison with all of our fucking little annoying podcasts. Ah, it's yeah, great. It was, yeah. We kind of fucking abandoned us. But, uh, he really fucking did, and I have some very strong feelings about that. I don't know where the fuck that dude's at anymore. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I fucking the uh, did you did you read Annihilation? No, the last thing I read by him Oof. is I I've subscribed to Heavy Metal Magazine for fucking pr- probably a decade now, and when he took over as editor in chief, that was like. I don't know. I, 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 that was huge for me. I, obviously I was a heavy metal fan. I was a Grant Morrison fan. These two things were colliding and it lasted about a year and he did some comics in there, but none of them were particularly great. I think one of them had a lot to do with like cats and Nazis or something as heavy metal has a tendency to do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was okay, but it wasn't world changing. And then they, he's not on it anymore. You know, he just kind of shuffled off. So, um, I honestly don't know what he's been up to. But what's annihilation? He, well, he's been doing Green Lantern for a couple of years now. Yeah, people tell me it's great. It's uh, I don't know. It's not Kyle, so I don't care. Is that is that how shallow I am? Who, um, who's fucking, the Green Lantern now? It's Hal. He's back to Hal. Okay, whatever. it's it's fine. It's yeah. space cop stuff, like very literal. Like I think the first issue says space cop across the front of it, or something along those lines. Um, annihilation. Oh man, this is just, it was, it broke my fucking heart. It was in that same way as like when Elon Musk showed up on Rick and Morty and I was like, cool, I'm never getting this back again. Um, Annihilation. I got about a quarter of the way into it and I was like, it's about the, it's about a fucking, um, it's a King mob story, but it's about a young fucking Hollywood screenwriter who's writing this epic sci-fi story that's about his own life as he's having a mental breakdown that might be killing him. And then the two lives intersect and have to save the universe and shit. But it's Max Landis. It's fucking Max Landis. Like it's drawn to be Max Landis. The name, like I think it's Max Lomax or something. And then I just fucking like Googled Annihilation and Max Landis. And there's this big blurb from Landis saying of like, holy shit, me and Graham Morrison hung out for a while and now he's doing this book that I'm in. And I was just like, cool. 
super cool grant you this is going to age really well Timmy this is going to age this will uh, age as well as that time the fucking jla teamed up with Jarrett from subway <laughs> yeah i i don't i already think that max landis is kind of like already not like he hasn't i hate to say canceled but he's been kind of uh maligned for the past decade or so or he he's, he was never thought of very highly and then like yeah i think once people started talking openly about the like yeah he's he's a dick and right. then and then when his projects stop making a lot of money that's all they fucking really care about is how profitable is this but fucking what was that uh blight blame bright bright netflix is bright uh i think that bombed enough that he lost a lot of his social cred that way yeah i mean his chronicle was good i think that was like the high watermark for him um i really like that and then he had that frankenstein movie that wasn't terrible uh where daniel radcliffe played igor and um that was kind of interesting e and then was it american ultra that was his like his mk ultra movie um, yeah yeah his super that, sexy spy yeah that fucking sucked i saw that in the theater and um but that was it and uh yeah the bright was that was the will smith is like uh, it was like alienation it was like he was a he, <laughs> cop exactly. and he's got like an orc buddy orc like partner uh, we don't like you orc people in orc town oh wait we only <laughs> like orcs in orc town it feels like a fucking sketch like it's either fucking rick and morty or snl of just like yeah. even down to the like what was will smith's fucking fairy lives don't matter <laughs> just, i i should say really quickly like i've spent a bunch of time with with max landis i uh i met him at a fucking pizza joint outside uh showing a fucking aliens and i wound up arranging for him to do a signing at the comic book store so there's a level of like i want to dig into this too much i loved chronicle not a real fan of the human being when i when i got up close it was one of those it was one of those negative experiences yeah he had um there was a lot of shit talking about him on the internet for dec for not I don't want to say decades, but for a very long time before I realized he was in about him. The the Timmy Spielberg stuff. Did you ever come across that? No. That was like when when that was his uh alias. When people would shit talk huh. when people would shit talk him online, they didn't want to talk about him directly because he was such a troll and he would like go after people and he's one of these people that like Googles his names and looks at everything huh. that people are saying about him. So they used the uh code word Timmy Spielberg, which if you think about it makes sense. And uh yeah, so I mean he was uh, they've been shit talking him since uh I think message boards were created. <laughs> but so so yeah, to hear that Graham Morrison fucking like took acid with him in Las Vegas and then did this book, it's it's just, you know, I'm I'm I wish Morrison was doing other stuff. I wish he I've heard this thing, I not to be a rumor monger about it, but like people like he doesn't do any of his own online media. Like he doesn't touch computers that are connected to the internet anymore, like some weird version of a Luddite. It's all done through someone else. And like I just I thought he would be one of those dudes like I know Warren Ellis is a little difficult to bring up now, but like Graham Morrison, I thought was going to be one of our like kings of the internet, like a dude who was like super like tweets a thousand times a day and is weirdly interactive. But I mean, maybe the flip side is, is he's trying to get some fucking work done. That might be it. And it might be, he understands the danger of overexposure and the more shit you say, the more likely you are to say something that 
is going to piss people off or is it going to translate well or you know if maybe he's learned to you know because comics i mean you you're a comic book maker like you could speak to this it's not an immediate medium you know what i mean like they, it, it takes a while it's a process so there's plenty of time for revision and editing and and, and correction and thinking about what you're going to say and going over and over and over stuff again so tweeting might kind of run counterculture to that like it's not it's kind of far removed you know he's also an old man now i forget how old but like you know it's one of those he's not he's not just some 35 year old dude getting on the internet at this point he's some dude who's been around for it all yeah yeah it's actually, the same how, you, as, actually oh, how you doing <laughs> i'm just listening i don't i don't know anything about comic books guys i don't <laughs> I, I have no idea. I've well, I, really I saw neat. Batman once. I'm just kidding. I've seen all of them, but I, I don't. I really don't know anything about any of what you're talking about. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, the invisible. I think we'll just kind of like wrap up like that. That everything that just kind of from the past. Uh, the invisible is a good one to read. Uh, it, it heavily ties into uh, chaos magic, the occult, drug use, uh, kink, and uh, you know. Oh, kink! You just counterculture. <laughs> No, yeah. I think that a lot of the audience um, probably does enjoy uh, stuff like this. And there's, I don't, I don't have anything against it. It's just that I don't really, um, I, I don't really take in a lot of fiction personally. So it's just not uh, my, my bag, but, but I think it is really neat. Um, especially, uh, you know, the way Hank was talking about the one guy earlier and how the guy was, you know, talking about like experiences with aliens and all that kind of stuff. And it sounds crazy, but like in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's really not that crazy. <laughs> it's really not no and i i guess like that's any i i've made a lot of stuff i've written a lot of stuff and i feel like if you it's not that far-fetched to have you write a story and if it's a story that's kind of you have a personal connection with and then where you're drawing from your own experiences um fiction and reality tends to blend into it itself you know and it's I, i there's been times when i've written stories and stuff that i've written has more or less come true in the future you know um and i don't think that it's necessarily i don't you know i guess it's it's kind of magic but it's also just kind of like the the the, the creative process itself is kind of magic because you're making something out of nothing you know and i and that's brings us to our next thing i want to talk to hank about is that you make a lot of different shit <laughs> you know which is which is kind of like why i was like super interested to talk to you because you you work in a lot of different mediums um your podcasts are interesting it's kind of like you know uh i don't want to say slam poetry spoken word fiction you know um those videos that you make like i'll 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 let you kind of introduce them and give our audience a rundown but those friends videos are fucking hysterical oh the Um, comrades series man that was (laughs) that's something that i've always i i had the dream for that like fucking years ago but it wasn't what it was what in my head, it was always going to be a series of really bad, stupid Russian jokes. And then the day I sat down to do that, I like it's one of those things where like funny Russian jokes are the thing I grew up on. And now it's 2021. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of hackney and racist at this point. Like you can't just like now everything is backwards because we talk in Soviet land. And that's <laughs> when it turned into a strange horror series it was like cool then i'll just go in a sort of like do you uh have you ever gotten into the flesh interface series no what's that man 
again, this is one of those I could we there's a full episode to be had. Somebody out there started writing these responses to random threads on Reddit. And if you put them all together, they start telling this alternate reality story that involves these flesh interfaces, which are like pods of pulsing flesh that are sort of doorways to other dimensions. But everything that passes through them seems to die, except occasionally they put little children through and they come back with their blood all full of LSD and covered in strange membranes. But it was all done by this fucking just this random person nobody knows anything about online. Um, and I got really into that for a little while and, uh, and it worked as a really nice, like that's, there's a lot of that that went into what the comrade series became of trying to sort of explore that form of body horror, body horror, alien shit. It felt, it felt to me more like, uh, did you ever listen to welcome to night Vale? Oh yeah. It was like good. Welcome to night Vale. Like, I, I like Welcome to Night Vale, but sometimes I feel like they don't quite get what they're lampooning. You know what I mean? Like they don't they don't quite have the hang of the dread and like the horror part of it. Um, it's definitely a you little did. cutesy. Yeah, and you did. Like for you, it was definitely more like fuck. <laughs> so just explain like to our audience real quick, like what what Comrades is. So comrades is, is <laughs> I'll give you the whole process on it. I mean, funnily enough, like I'm, I, it's, it's a closed series now, like the last episode of it has come out, but, uh, basically I take an episode of friends. I crank down the resolution. I slow it down to about 75% speed. I strip out all the audio and dub it all with, uh, sections of a Polish novel that I found online. And then I subtitle it all with an ongoing sort of evolving story of strange horrors. Um, you know, it started out as being a very random stream of consciousness thing at first, and then you get a couple episodes in and suddenly you have a continuity. Suddenly, you know, that like that, that Ross is the one who has the dreams and no one likes the dreams. <laughs> they were, they were truly they were a pleasure to make. That was the thing that was really fun about that is that it wasn't almost like it was like just throwing paint on a canvas. Right. And it's, it's, I highly, it's available on YouTube, right? Yeah. Yeah. I put them all up in like, yeah, each episode is like one and a half or two minutes long at the most. And now that's sort of being subsided, subseded, followed by, uh, we live right. within, Fuck, I don't even remember what my own titles are now. We live with an undefinable horror? Jesus Christ. It's that's where the kids series. where the kids disappear. No, that's the um it's a it's a new similar dubbed format thing where I'm taking uh see the reason I stopped doing comrades is because uh you ever get into the fucking um what is it, pork chop sandwiches? What like actual like actual work? Um, the uh, there were a bunch of GI Joe PSAs that somebody did a huge big redub on, and those were oh, sort of yeah, one, yeah. one of the first big viral things. Yeah. But when I was looking into it, they do run into that thing of like, eventually, if you become popular enough, you may get that shit stricken down by the copyright holders. So that's why I I hit a point with comrades where I was like. If I keep doing this long enough, I don't want I don't want these to all get fucking taken down off of YouTube because I'm violating some copyright thing. So that's why now I'm trying to just work with old public domain black and white TV shows. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so you just, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Um, and then you also do, uh, comic stuff, right? You have a comic with one of the Mobcast guys, right? I do. Brendan and I uh, did uh, Techno Crappers, which we're sort of doing as a series of strips, basically. We're trying to... we. We've worked on some other stuff before. He do did the initial illustration for uh, the Free Runner for my uh, for my comic book Vigilante audio story series, and uh, yeah, since then we we sort of toyed around with stuff. But uh, techno crappers, it's sort of semi ongoing, you know. Like it's it, they're just strips, so I can keep doing scripts, and he can keep you know do a panel or two whenever he can. And all the stuff that you make, like, do you, does it come kind of from the same place creatively? I mean, obviously they're different stories, but is there, is there like a, a unifying thread that like brings them together? You would say. I, you know, on a good day, on a good day when I'm not just fucking faking it and being a hack, I, I like to hope that, that <laughs> you sit down with a new project and you think about the combination of like what's missing. Like what's out there that I really wish that I was reading right now that I don't have a chance to read. And then a combination of also like, what do I fucking love? I love Preacher. Why? What are the what are the little moments of it? And I think of that stuff in that sort of I it's that very Tarantino sort of approach of like, yeah, man. And then you just fucking steal like a motherfucker. You find the <laughs> stuff you love and you just fucking rip its guts out and you dress yourself up in them and nobody knows or cares anymore. Like, I, I, you know, I'm not, you know, I, what is the fucking like hack steal great artist plagiarize or the other way around something like that. Yeah. And in, in, in America, we call it stealing and in France, they call it paying homage. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I mean, I can see, I can see the things that are inside of me that keep bubbling up no matter what, like fucking, Hey, it's funny. This doesn't show up in a ton of the stuff that I'm doing currently, but like, I can't stop writing about young mutant gangs beating up cops. I can't get it out of my fucking head. It's like, like I got to do this right. Cause I can't fucking stop doing it. Yeah. I, I have that same thing. We're like, there's, I, I make a lot of short films. I used to make more, but I, I still <clears throat> average about one or two a year. And everything that I feel like I do with film comes from either Repo Man or um, huh. uh, Streets of Fire. I don't know. Have you ever seen Streets of Fire? I haven't kind, seen Streets of Fire. All right. It's it's kind of a um, – it's a Walter Hill movie, and it's with Willem Dafoe and Rick Moranis and the Commodores – and uh, not the Commodores. What fucking band is that? I don't know. But it's it's Jim Steinman did the music for it. R.I.P. And um, it's it's like it's it, it says on the cover. It's a rock and roll fairy tale, and it's very much um, just I, I can't really describe it. But it's like you know, good guys and bad guys and and bands and cars and motorcycles and it's very pulpy. And it came out in the the early eighties. And, uh, it's larger than life, but it's not, it's not super, uh, you know, it's not like campy or anything. And, um, yeah, it's one of those things where it's, it, it kind of, it's not readily apparent that everything I do tries to be like that, but it's an influence that was so profound that it's felt on everything that I do. 
Um, especially with Repo Man, with the genre bending and the comedy and the sci-fi and the way that like how layered everything is in that movie and how you can, you know, you have to watch it really a couple times to get how everything is constantly interweaving with each other and what a small universe, small but very dense universe that film creates. Um, and that just kind of captivated me as a storyteller to have that much control over the environment and the, the, you know the screen that you can you can kind of make something that compact but at the same time that like cheap and punk rock you know um so those are two that had a huge influence on me and and it, you know it seems like with a lot of the stuff that you do like like you said there's a kind of uh it, it, it obviously it all comes from the same place you're the you're the creator you know um i don't know where i was going with that <laughs> well, I definitely like I've got I got my handful of things like that. Like for me, like the uh, the original black and white Ninja Turtles were were a real seminal fucking thing for me. And like, you know, I've, I've mentioned Tarantino a couple of times, like when I was 14 or 15, I guess my dad took me to theater to see Pulp Fiction. And like there's OK, here's a a thing that I that I think about. And this kind of gets back to Graham Morrison as well, like like a a fixation that I have. I love the fucking wire, right? Like the wire is, is the greatest oh, TV show ever made, but I can't turn off the part of my brain that whenever I'm fucking watching it, there's always this part of me that's like, so what would happen if angel from, from Buffy were in this series? Like what, what do you, what do you do then? What do you do then? If you don't lose the caliber of storytelling that's being told, but you introduce fucking Spider-Man to this I th and and I think that's what I loved about Grant Morrison is that he does this thing where he takes these really weird fucking concepts and then you humanize the fuck out of them. You really show human beings having a visceral reactions to the unknown or the unexplainable. I don't know. There's there's something in that that I I really like. <clears throat> yeah, I, I mentioned my son earlier. Uh, I was able to name him Connor. Um. <laughs> <laughs> because i'm such a huge fucking angel fan and uh yeah that makes his mom darla but we'll leave it at that <laughs> so um yeah i i completely agree i feel like those are both high water marks with for when it comes to storytelling on tv uh definitely the wire the wire i i watched that um i had just started job working midnights and i kind of asked my coworkers, well what do you do on midnights there's not really a whole lot going on and they were like, I don't know, you drink or you sleep. And I was like, well, I'm not going to oh, do either one of those things. I'm going to, so I, I watched The Wire and I probably, and it, it was over at the time. Um, but I, it probably took me about two, three months to go through the whole series. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, that's, it, it doesn't get much better than that. And I really liked, I didn't watch uh, Treme. Is that the one he did in New Orleans? I got a but, little into it, but it just, it didn't have the same pull. But uh, the porn one he did was really good. Ooh, I haven't uh, seen that. Oh yeah, um, the Deuce, huh? Yeah, James Franco. Uh. It's 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 actually kind of bananas. James Franco plays twins, and one brother is a bartender, and one brother is like, uh, I don't know. He's always in trouble with the mob, and they give Franco a gay bar because the mob used to kind of run the gay bars in New York City because it was a way you know the, the cops wouldn't hassle it and gay people needed a place to drink and shit so like um they kind of did that and then through there he slowly gets into the porn industry and uh it's all about 
you know, you talked about New York in the in the seventies and eighties and, and how it transitioned from um how the CD Times Square changed basically and the the porn theaters and all that stuff. Um it's worth checking out. It's pretty good. And I didn't even finish it, but like I want to say each season is like five years apart. And uh it really good cast. Maggie Gyllenhaal plays a hooker that becomes a porn star. And basically how like all the all the early porn stars were straight up hookers and how the pimps kind of lost their business. And when they tried to clean up, you know, Times Square and get rid of the pimps and the hookers, well then, you know, some of the pimps went out of business and some of the pimps became filmmakers. You know, <laughs> and uh, it's worth checking out. It's, it's David Simon. Obviously, that's why we're talking about it. But uh, it, it's pretty fucking solid, you know, and, and obviously Buffy and Angel. I, I found those after the fact. I'm not like the crazy Firefly fanatic that a lot of people are. I, nah, it's it's fine. It's fine. yeah, and exactly. It's fine. It was one. Se- it was one season in a movie. Let's not make more of it than it was. You know, um, have you watched the Nevers at all? No, no. As soon as that one came up, I I knew I was way be. I don't want to say way beyond it, but just kind of done at this point. And the other thing, did you uh, did you ever read? Uh, he did a run on Runaways after Brian K. Vaughn. No, I never I never read that. I didn't like it his is, X-Men run and I kind of gave up oof. on his comics after that cuz he was too he was he was right after Morrison on that. And he, he kind of he, um Josh Sweden? Yeah. Wasn't he? Wasn't he right after Oh no, X-Men? no, he was. He was. He he yeah. followed up Morrison. I think I know exactly what you're about to say of like he specifically was brought in to undo everything Morrison had Fuck done. Fuck that. Yeah. That's when I I was like, you know, Josh, like you're all right, but you're not, you know, fucking stay in your lane but not runaways was solid no no the thing is is runaways his thing in runaways was the the characters all traveled back to i think the same time period that the nevers there's just a like when the nevers when the trailer for that came out i was like oh this is your your runaways story or like like i see the seeds of this thing that you did before that you're doing now right like he's got like go on Oh, I was just going to say, like, you know, um, Firefly, the origin of Firefly is fucking uh, Aliens 4, right? No. The team of bounty hunters, if you look at that team of bounty hunters in Aliens oh 4 that Joss God. Whedon wrote, it's like the smooth talking funny leader who's got a black tough sidekick who kicks a lot of ass and carries a shotgun and there's the guy no one trusts and there's the girl who's good at machines something along those lines ron perlman is definitely fucking jane in that yeah you just yeah you recycled a thing and like that's hey hey we were talking about this before like i fucking do it all the time (laughs) like if you fucking ran over all of my work there's a like yeah dude like again it's the like one of my roommates called me out on it 15 years ago where he was like you just like things where people smoke weed and listen to hip hop. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> well, there's a lot to like about that. You know, That's, it's a good opening doorway to a better world. So one of, one of the things that I had on our list of things to talk about, which now has come up like a fourth time in this podcast. I don't know if our listeners have picked up on it, but you're, you're definitely from Canada. <laughs> Ooh, I, I, I've been told that I had to record something for somebody once and they were like, so your accent is kind of doing something here. Oh, it just, but it's, 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 it's funny when it pops out because it pops out with very specific words and like, I'm not, I'm not busting balls about it. Like, dude, it's fine. I, I talk weird too. I'm from the South Side of Chicago, but like, 
it's just interesting. So, and that was something I want to talk to you about because on your on your Twitter, like you're you're very um, I don't want to say like political, but I guess kind of political. I'm pretty first thing in the morning. It's always yeah. fucking first thing in the morning. But I, I I I that's what's really interesting to me because obviously, like I live here and I've been here my whole entire life. And you're, I mean, we're both North American scum, but like you're a little bit removed from it. You know what I mean? So you kind of have an outsider perspective looking in, like. What's been your impression of the states for the past five years? <laughs> it's uh, it's been a real bummer. But I, I don't know. Like my parents were pretty hardcore lefty, semi-anarchist weirdos, both in very different ways. So I grew up with some. I realize now as an adult, it's like, oh, those were extreme views. Those were not moderate views I was raised with. And I hold a lot of those same views myself. Like they were really into the fucking civil rights movement and shit like that. So there's a part of me that has a very like, yeah, I've been saying this for years. I was saying like right around fucking high school, like 96, 97 for me of like, you know, there's a, there's a giant culture war coming and like, did you ever, uh, did you ever get into disinfo? The website? Yeah, yeah. They they did a fucking like a web series at one or a, a TV series at one point, and they talked just a lot about the like the fact of like down in the south, just how big the culture war was getting towards raising people with the idea of like, yeah, you we're we're at war. We need to we Christians need to breed like fuck, and we need to be able to take down this fucking army that's amassing on the left. And I've been saying of like something's like this is this is not going to stay buried like this. This culture war is going to come to a head, not to be nihilistic about it. But there's just a like it's it's like people talking about fucking climate change 25 years ago. And now you exist today with the fucking forest fires. They are horrible when you see them. And at the same time, it's like, yeah, we saw this train coming. Like I've been talking about fucking saying neo-Nazis are a real problem my whole life. But yeah. but always on that thing of like being an outsider kid and constantly trying to say, you guys ignore that the fucking popular kid is a psycho bully or like like you create these excuses of like, well, he comes from a good home so we can overlook the fact that he fucking tortured one of his classmates. And it's like there's this. Yeah, it's so easy to just say a cancer that's brewing within and going ignored, but it's like it's going to fucking come to a head. To the point where I fucking I know everybody's talked about like Trump is a literal movie villain who nevertheless got a like, like, what the fuck does that say about how different people's views are? It's just very disappointing. It it was something we talked about in in the Manson episode that we. Yeah, we were just talking about that. Yeah. Um, about how people kind of thought that in the in the 60s counterculture movement um the the establishment was so surprised by uh white middle class kids taking drugs and getting into like the san francisco scene that they were convinced that there was uh russian involvement that there had to be communists that were brainwashing our children because why else would a 17-year-old white kid from suburbia smoke weed? Jesus you know what I mean? Because before then, drugs was not – they were not as widespread. And if they were used, they were used by you know, lower-class criminals. It, it, it wasn't popular. It wasn't available. And they saw suburbia and middle-class kids kind of flock to this lifestyle. And they were convinced it had to be Russians. It had to be communist you know, or 
brainwashing us and all this stuff. And it's the same thing with, with Trump being elected, where you have a lot of the left convinced that there must be Russian collusion because there's no other way that Trump could have possibly been elected. And it's like, no, <laughs> it, it's, I'm not saying there wasn't, I don't know all the details and I don't, I don't know if anyone does, but it, it, you know, no, there's an, there's enough crazy white people out there that would have voted for that man. And it, 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 we don't need, it doesn't need to get any more nefarious than that. It, we don't need a, a bigger explanation than that, than just people made bad choices. And going to what you say about, you know, the social engineering and being able to spot it a mile off. I remember in 1998 when like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and the first wave of like the teen girl pop icons came out of Disney and saying like, man, they are really sexualizing teenage girls right now. And this is nuts. And I, and I, I you know, where is this going to lead? Cause like, yeah, there was Madonna. Okay. Um, who made a lot of waves back in the eighties, but like, who else were like the teen pop icons, like Belinda Carlisle, fucking Tiffany. Like they were not overly sexualized, not, not to that extreme, not to what you saw with, uh you know britney spears and the like and when that came out like i i was like this is not going to be good because you're going to have you know this is going to lead to this, this is going to lead to that and sure enough look at the disney channel now how many of those how many of those actresses end up doing softcore porn or have fucking terrible drug addictions or something because they've been abused probably their their whole entire childhood you know and it, it was something that any if, if me like a, a kid sitting in a high school in chicago could see that coming a mile off you're telling me that nobody else did, right? Nobody else saw the ramifications of teen idols being represented a certain way, the, the, the ripple effect that that would have on youth culture, you know? And I'm by no means like some puritanical fucking weirdo or anything. I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, I am a weirdo actually, but not in that way. And I mean, it, it, it dinged my radar. So I can only imagine what you're seeing from, north of the wall it's yeah i i definitely it's hard to not take in a lot of you know all my fucking media is american and again you guys fucking live right there like all of your stuff impacts us in really big ways even just to the level of like you know all of our fucking comic books are american the strength of the american and canadian dollar really changes how much we have to change for our charge for comic books which really impacts how many comic books people buy so like there's weird levels of like it it all fucking interacts in different ways and and again we take i hate to say i don't know i don't like to say that we take the lead from you guys but again it's a loud cultural voice the weird thing is is like i assume you've never watched uh canadian television I mean, Trailer Park Boys, Letter Kenny, SCTV. Uh, you should watch uh, watch fucking Canadian news at some time. Like, destroy your YouTube algorithm by watching some CBC news. Okay. Our news presenters, like CBC is the fucking, like, it's the government news. We don't have that hyperbolic thing where all of the news readers are performers on this, in the States. Like, everybody, they're... It's much, it's much duller in Canada. Everything is, is so much duller. I fucking, I, I went to New York a few years ago and I came home. And as I got off the airplane in Vancouver, I looked around. And I was like, this is why everybody makes fun of us. We're just fucking like 
jeans and flannel jackets everywhere you look. <laughs> ah, we're a bland people. But That's anyways, cool. our news readers, when you watch it, there's just, there isn't, there's so much editorializing in American news. Like even when they try not to, even when it's shit of like, like, oh, I genuinely like this presenter. They still put all this emotional inflection into everything they say. That's Dude, like, we, we do pick up on that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we know that like you're absolutely 100 percent right and as someone that like grew up here and raised with that like yes i i i know and a lot of us know and that's why a lot of us are just like we don't watch the fucking news <laughs> because it's it is it's 100 percent just watch the news every single source of news every single one of them has some type of bias be it left or right every single one that there is not a single non-biased publication in america and if there is um it's just buried by all the big ones with all the money and so i mean that definitely is a um it, it is a problem because it makes people not trust and then it makes people I don't know, even that much dumber because they assume that the news is a source that you can trust when, you know, in all reality, you kind of just here, you really have to go to the horse's mouth to get the actual story. And then anytime we do get something that's kind of cool and, and, and independent like Vice, I mean, Vice now is obviously a joke and like that, you know, <laughs> but when it came out back in the day, like it was, it was interesting and it was new and it was a fresh perspective and it Vice felt like also it, Canadian, isn't it? I don't think so because the founder is the guy that started the fucking Proud Boys. Who's a Canadian? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, no, you guys are responsible for that. I every level of it is so stupid. Every level of it is so stupid. (laughs) You guys named yourselves after a song from the musical version of Aladdin. Like Jesus (laughs) Christ. I didn't even know that. No, we listen. Uh, we don't need to give those people the time of day on. This is not what the show is. No, about. no, no, definitely. <laughs> but my question is, Hank. So you know, speaking of like, you know, you're again, you're kind of giving your views as as a Canadian looking at us from the other side, and and not you know like Ground Zero. Um, are your views uh, of of how you you portray you portray us are 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 they um, fringe at all, or is that just kind of how the whole of Canada looks at us and just goes, holy shit? I mean, is that is that accurate? Mm, I I would definitely not want to ever say my opinion is is common or mainstream or like well that sounds like I'm trying to be real cool but n- n- I don't I I've always had this thing of like like no fucking people agree on anything you know it's like if you asked yeah. fucking like two Christians will still kill the same guy but if you ask them both to draw a picture of Jesus it's going to be so different and like I I don't know what the fuck people around me think like. There's still anti-mask rallies in my town. There's okay. still fucking like anti-gay guys with bullhorns doing stupid shit. There's just less of us in the in these population centers. So like I I hear stupid shit all the time. When the fuck, man? At the start of all this Trump stuff, I remember being in a grocery store and hearing the little old lady ahead of me just saying of like, "Well, I just don't know how anyone could ever say that Trump is racist." Oh. And I thought about screaming at her but i was like no if i i then i'm just going to be the dude screaming at a little old lady in a grocery store like then we lose so like (laughs) but but like no we're we're really stupid and bigoted and racist and horrible up here we're not we're not any better and i think a lot of us like to cling to some sort of cultural identity but Mm -hmm. it's like it's fucking bullshit yeah except for the french and don't get me started on them oh and the eastern (laughs) canadians i don't like them either Ugh, they're just 
There's no one worse than another Canadian. It's true, though. They're all fucking awful, man. Like, fucking, it's, if you did get me down to it, it's like, oh, Alberta is a fucking nightmare country. Alberta is our version of your Texas. Like, they are fully fucking, like, a weird conservative nightmare. That's People where... from Newfoundland have fucking allegiance to the fucking deep ones. It's so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Alberta, that's the the other um, podcast I used to I used to write for their website. They're called Grimerica, and they were based out of Alberta. And uh, it for it was it was a really interesting. Um, the podcast is still around, but it was it was really interesting. It was kind of like uh, kind of like what we do. And uh, there were these two stoner Canuck guys, and they would have people on, and. Um, you know, I wrote, I wrote, I had a, a, a blog on their website and I would write about stuff and they kind of got a kick out of me and I got a kick out of them. And it worked really well for a while and um, stopped writing for them and just kind of recently poked my head in to see what they were up to. And they are 100% like insane anti-maskers Oof. to where I think they're selling shirts that have like something that makes some kind of claim that like the vaccine gives you AIDS or something. And I know that it's kind of meant to be a joke. I know. Right. And I was like, Oh my God, what have you guys been up to? So when, and and I, I just thought it was like them or I didn't know if like, it was like a Canadian, I know that it wasn't a Canadian thing, but like, it was, it was very weird to me that they were like that. And now that you say that like Alberta, it's like Texas. I'm like, there you go. Makes perfect sense now. Um, I think like, you know, I don't know that, you know, the flip side of this is like people have real bad misconceptions about Canada, you know, like the fucking the symbol of the Mountie is one of those like such a Canadian thing. The Mounties, the very noble, like, no, the Mounties have a horrible history of racism and sexual abuse. And it's one of those like, yeah, if you're from here, you know, these guys are assholes, man. They're just a specific type of cop who have even more types of shitty rules. So explain yeah. the Mounties to us in case, because I'm not, I guess I'm not familiar with them really. Oh God. And I mean, I don't, I, it's the Royal Canadian Mounted Police are, they're a, they're a subset of like, I don't know, like fucking super cop. Like we got cops and we got sheriffs and like what if fucking now sheriffs are, they're mostly like highway jurisdiction type thing. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the RCMP there, they were traditionally horse cops and out here it's one of those like it's it's the best of the best it's the noble and they've got these really fucking smart uniforms and you always see them at like olympic events and on our coins and shit like that and they're really presented like like those dudes outside of fucking buckingham palace like that yeah. kind of like they're just oh, it's a very noble thing and it's like no i i a friend of mine's mom was in the RCMP and she quit because they do not treat women very well. And she fucking tried to stick it out. And it is really hard. The level of just like sexual abuse that goes on. And again, like they're one of those groups that also like in the way that people talk about the like, yeah, originally like cops were formed to keep slaves in line. The RCMP were just a way to fucking kill natives. And now they're whitewashed into this fucking symbol of something else. And, th- and I think that is definitely what it is, is that a lot of this history has been, you know, whitewashed. Well, just like how we still have, you know, Columbus Day. And it's just absolutely ridiculous that we celebrate that man. He, I mean, it's just it blows my fucking mind. But, you know, but, but I, yeah, I understand. It's just and, and nobody really, you know, the common folk don't really stop to ask questions about it. So they don't really stop to really learn. And, and that's kind of where the issues just continue to kind of continue. You know, they just continue to be what it is just uh, a, a terrible history that that everybody just kind of turns a blind eye to 
Are you a Rush fan? Right. Um, man, because I've been listening to uh, Behind the Bastards, I was like, Rush Limbaugh? No, <laughs> no, no. I'm the I'm the wrong era for that. I uh, for a while I lived with a couple of dudes who were both ten years older than me and were from the East Coast, and all they listened to was Rush and Slayer. But uh, no, my my drop for fucking Canadian music for fucking everybody listening at home. Fucking go out and listen to some fucking. Ugh. My, they were hip hop band out of toronto called btk but then the btk killer became a thing and oh, uh, they kind yeah, of faded away that's the first away. thing i thought of <laughs> yeah they're there it standed for birth through knowledge but yeah they the google searching them is kind of a kind of a hassle now uh, yeah i'm sure <laughs> oh no but if you look up btk peppy rock i guarantee you have heard that song before it'll be like oh yeah i heard this in seven movies back in 1992 or is 96 yeah it's idle says, hands uh, hitman brett the hitman heart wrestling with shadows what yes i guess it was on that soundtrack they okay. were on that as well well I'm gonna... well well they're great <laughs> they do a music video with muppets in it and they talk about smoking weed what else do you want and that sounds pretty great just... to me yeah sign me up do you uh, is weed legal there i think it would oh be, yeah right? Yeah, I, cool. I, I I know at least here, like, it's fully decriminalized and what's the fuck like, like recreational weed. Like, you can just when, walk down a store into a government weed store or a non-government weed store and buy a bunch of weed and go home. When did that happen for you guys? You know, the funny thing is, is like, I kept buying through my fucking regular dealer for like a year and a half after it started. It's cheaper, so like, right? It just, you're pay, yeah, oh, the dispensary, you pay Coke prices for weed. It's, it's kind right. of outlandish, but sometimes you can get pretty cool products too. So right. I, I, you know, some are good and some are bad. I think the government weed stores are pretty awful, but like there's ways like there's, there's delivery places where I'm can buy weed at half the price that I was buying it at previously. So, and some friendly dude brings it to your door. Yeah, it's it's decriminalized completely in Illinois now. Um, so we can we have dispensaries. They're not run by the government, though. It's interesting that you say that, but it would make sense because you guys have government health care and these dispensaries are basically they were set up initially for medicinal um, patients and then they opened their doors to recreational uh, people once that passed, because that's kind of what they do in the states is first is for, you know, it's done state by state. It's not a federal thing. So like where where Ashley lives, like it's still illegal. But where I'm at in Illinois, it's, it's not illegal here. But recre- uh, medicinal is, but not recreational. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, different. Yeah, so like what a state will do first, like you know where Ashley's at is they'll they'll decriminalize it for for medicinal use, and then the dispensaries all pop up, and then if you have a prescription, you can go to it. And you can get it, but it's all done privately because we do private health care. And then that usually lasts for about a year or two. And once they see that people aren't killing killing themselves in the streets and shit, then they'll go on the head and they'll pass the recreational law, which makes it legal for just about everybody to use. Well, um, so it was it was dec- I'm almost positive. I'm about 99 percent sure it was decriminalized federally last year. It's you, you cannot be arrested for having pot anywhere in the entire country at this point. Now, you can be fined and then it's up to the states to decide how they want to regulate it. But you can't go to jail any longer. But I think it's still a class. 
it's still a, a controlled substance. I know that the money is still the money still has to stay in the states. They don't allow like when you go into dispensaries, you have to pay in cash because if you use a credit card or a debit card or any kind of banking card, that means that the money is kind of even electronically traveling over state lines, and that's where it gets tricky. So whenever you go to buy stuff, you always have to use cash because it has to be done right then and there. And they also have to grow whatever they sell in the stores. They have to grow it in the same state that they sell it because they don't want it traveling across state lines and stuff. Um, it's it's weird here. We're, we're, we're halfway to, it sounds like we're halfway to where you guys are at. Um, but yeah, that's been kind of a, that's been kind of a, a new thing for us here. I think two years ago or a year and a half ago, uh, it became legal here in Illinois. And I mean, that's, that was kind of weird as somebody that smoked pretty much since they were 15 or whatever to have it suddenly be legalized and, and, and normalized. And you can talk about it at work with people and it's not that, that was, that was a pretty big cultural shift, you know? I still haven't adjusted to it. Like I still find myself like changing my words in the way of like, like I'm hiding something dirty. I was like, well, no, that dude over there just said I had a beer last night. So right. I am also allowed to say I smoked a bowl last night. Like I'm high right now, <laughs> no matter when this is being broadcast. So like, but, but there is that weird, like, yeah, I guess we're, we're not cool anymore. We're not, we're not breaking any law. We're not doing anything shifty. Like now I'm just a fucking nerd with a pipe. I had to make that decision when discussing it with my child. Um, and, and I did that recently because it was, it was, uh, you know, as of us recording it, this, it was a uh, 420, not too long ago. And, um, I slipped up and I told my mom that I was going to go get high and my kid was right there. And I really didn't think about it. My kid's nine. And I'm like, you know, I wouldn't like if in front of my kid, if I was like, oh, I'm going to go drink, you know, not that I talk about drinking with my nine year old. But, you know, if I said I'm going to drink a beer or drink a beer in front of her, like it's she's not going to freak out. You know, what I mean? she's going to be like, oh, and, you know, and let's let's be honest, you know, marijuana is not nearly as bad as alcohol is not even close. And so I really had to, like, think about it. Like I said, I made I kind of made that decision. And I'm like, you know what? I either believe that that marijuana is is good and good for you and a great thing or i don't and i kind of need to decide that now and decide what kind of environment i want to raise my kid in to think you know these things so i told her i sat down we had a great conversation about marijuana i was telling her all about it i was talking about how i can help people um with certain things and she was like i want to have some marijuana and i was like oh no fired. <laughs> so you know whatever but we had a good talk about you know uh waiting until you're you're old enough and all that good stuff so <laughs> right which is what 15 14 <laughs> i mean hey as, lo as long as she gets the good stuff i'm down with it we, we, we can smoke down play some play some mario you know <laughs> see i read comic books that's what i would do oh, oh, I, my would, bad. <laughs> I, I would walk home from the comic book store and smoke my little one hitter and then go up to my room and read comic books for hours every i don't know what was it tuesday or wednesday what's new comic book day <laughs> and people said that we weren't going to turn out right <laughs> yeah. look at us now <laughs> now i drive the bus <sighs> it's great no it's great it's it's so weird. It's I think like I could have sworn I just saw a clip of some fucking American politician 
trying to decry weed and say something about the like how harmful it was to communities. And it just sounds so fucking backwards to hear somebody saying that now. Like it's been a couple of years here at least. And like it, it's one of those like you guys can see us, right? Like, like we're right fucking there. Like, like, Hey, we socialize medicine and we, we're all really fucking like high and we're cool with it. Like you, we didn't burn shit down. It's fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that's, that's, you know, Fox news will show you. I had this uh, story, you know, not really a story, but it happened back in the summer. I went to, um, I went to this kid's birthday party. It was a three-year-old's birthday party. And, um, you know, I was one of my friend's kids and I show up and, you know, they rolled this huge blunt, huge blunt. And uh, we all smoked it together. But the thing was, was that the person that rolled that huge blunt was a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, it's just it is it's so silly how much like reefer madness is still a thing. I mean, it's obviously it's died down a lot, but it's just abs- it's like, guys, it's 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 2021. We, we need to we need to move past that part of our uh, of our life, you know. <laughs> Well, I think some people just never had any exposure to it. And if you were if you were the type of kid that smoked when you were in high school, even though it was illegal, you kind of it normalized it to you and you realized that it wasn't that big of a deal and it wasn't that scary. Yeah. But if you're somebody that wasn't, if you're somebody that followed the rules or just wasn't exp- didn't have cool friends or whatever, however, however, the stuff appeared on your radar. I mean, you know, I, I assume that there's some kids that could have gone their whole entire life and, and or not their whole entire life, but gone through their whole entire adolescence and never been exposed to criminal behavior that's entire. i mean i wasn't one of them but like i'm sure there's kids out there like that yeah you know just based on who their peers were or, or, or who was in their vicinity and you know what do those kids do I, I mean i this is something that i i made a huge impact on me in high school i went to school with kids that legitimately like didn't know black people like they grew up in these white suburbs there was no black people anywhere around their their parents didn't have black friends or they didn't associate with anybody they didn't know anybody and where they went to grammar school was you know uh proximity based to where they grew up and there was there was no black kids there there was no black teachers and then um they went to high school and and there wasn't a, a huge uh number of black students at the high school I went to, but there was a few and you could tell that some kids were like legitimately seeing these like black people for the first time. Like they saw them on TV and shit. Like they knew they existed, but like as far as interaction on a daily basis or anything, it never fucking happened before. Same with Hispanics, same thing with just other races, non-whites. Like it was, it was, this was their first interaction with them. And it was just solely based on exposure and the bubbles that they grew up in. And you know, Chicago for as being as big of a city is, I mean, it's the third largest city in the United States. It's ridiculously segregated, and it's very, it's very easy to grow up isolated from a lot of different things. And I, I have to feel that the people in this day and age that are still anti marijuana and it still want to see it criminalized and still demonize it, it's got to just be a, a a matter of no exposure. Yeah. None whatsoever. Because if anyone, if you were exposed to it and you did try it and you did see people that used it, you wouldn't have those views. So the only way you could, could really conceivably have those views is if you have no, no exposure. 
I know that my mom would, she smoked pot one time, once with my father. And uh, when she did, <clears throat> and my dad did all the drugs in the world, and my mom did none. And when she finally smoked pot for the first time, she freaked out so badly that she had to go to the emergency room. <laughs> so. Well, we've all been there. <laughs> <sighs> like are you sure it was just pot and she's like i just like listen i don't know i just know i'm never doing it ever again and i'm like okay <laughs> poor thing <laughs> you're like mom that's atypical though just, right you know. right i'm like that shouldn't have happened. i mean i don't know you know yeah i don't know I've, I've gotten pretty high before but like going to the hospital high i, I don't know so i mean oh. for her it was traumatizing so i mean maybe some of these other people have that experience and they're like oh this is what it's like every time you get you know because everybody's got that first time they get high right and it is it, it can be very intense and you know so it just maybe that's what happens and instead of you know them just being like oh i'll return back to normal they have this freak out and it's scary forever it took me about five years to get shit my pants high and there's a there's a video um it's a youtube video but it's an audio recording of an off-duty cop that takes an edible and then calls nine one one because he thinks that him and his girlfriend are dying i've seen that that I'm, I've been that high before. Yeah. And once again, it was from edibles. So I had made a batch of brownies and I did not make them correctly. And uh, all hell broke loose. And um, I mean, it's possible. But luckily, I called my brother-in-law before I called 911. <laughs> and I said, I said, am I dying? Am I turning into an angel? What the fuck is happening? And he's like, shut the fuck up. Get off the phone. And go watch Wayne's World or something, and you're going to be fine in two hours. <laughs> and I was, you know, I guess like my I was able to put my head back together again. After you calm down, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, I walked out of that apartment. Yeah, yeah. unless I'm still there. <laughs> you're saying you'll you, be yes, fine. You you'll just start a podcast in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh man, I think I my advantage was that I got into I was I was super straight edge all the way through high school because uh, I had a lot of alcoholics around me and that they kind of forced me into that direction. Right. And so then I got into acid before I started smoking weed. Yes. So acid or weed was never a big deal. I was yeah. always able to handle it after that. I, well, I can I can definitely see why. That's there you go. Another another anecdote about my parents. My dad, um, my my mom was uh, in labor with my sister, and and she called my dad, and he was tripping on acid, and he showed Jesus. up to the hospital. <laughs> they had to get him a room. <laughs> I had a weird childhood, also, guys. I'm sorry. I mean, I can see a level of like, yeah, man, that would be fucking beautiful, but also like, get out of here, get out of here, hi, fucking we're trying to bring a child into this world, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I don't know how he survived that night, to be honest with you. Jesus, <laughs> I how were your How were your acid trips? Would you characterize them as mostly positive? Did you Did you think they influenced you creatively? Uh, did you take anything away from them, or was it just an interesting way to spend twelve hours? I I still really like acid. Like it's still, if I could do it without it fucking me up so badly that I can't, like you know, just the depression that kind of kicks in a couple of days afterwards. Yeah, I would. I I've done a lot of acid over the past few years and I love it. I, you know, initially there was this like, Hey, I'm having a fucking transcendental experience. And then after a while, it's like, Hey, I'm going to watch seven hours of adventure time. <laughs> and like, those are both cool experiences. And like, eventually you're not a fucking 19 year old, you know, like I, you, we're, let's take it all the way back to what we were talking about before. Like, <laughs> 
<laughs> Me and you need to fucking hang out, dude. Seriously. <laughs> There's this era of time where I'm just reading the invisibles and I'm doing a lot of acid and 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 I'm trying to make it all real, you know? I'm trying to make it feel like it's this thing that's manifesting. And and I remember I found a store where I could buy some DMT and I had a moment where I was super excited about that. But then I spoke to the person who worked in the store and they were this fucking space cadet. And I just remember I walked out and I was like, these doors aren't fucking real. Like I love acid. I love the way it makes me feel. I love the thoughts and like the, the ways it takes me. But the part of me that's like, and now we're going to fucking sync up with the UFOs. And we're going to go do some like that's it's just a bunch of shit inside my head. It doesn't mean anything except as a. You know, like it means as much as a fucking painting does, you know, like it might be expressing something from within myself, but it doesn't like there's no cosmic significance to any of it. Yeah. So, uh, Ash, did you want to ask him about the DMT? Or did, you know, <laughs> so I'm, the, I'm giving you opportunities to talk now. It's good yeah, to hear your voice again. <laughs> no, oh, well, um, no, OK, so I, I don't you know, Hank, I'm sure you know a little bit about myself. I may, um, you know, when, when I'm not uh, talking weird on Wednesdays, I am a 40 and investigator full time. Um, so what that means is that I chase uh, things like cryptids and aliens and ghosts and pretty much everything. Um, so. What I have found with DMT is that a lot of these people that do it have a very similar experience. So that's I think that's very interesting coming from a perspective where you're like, oh, it's all in my head. Do you really you really think that it is? You don't think there's any type of significance there? I I it's this is a really tricky thing because like I am I'm a cynic and I'm a believer to a degree. Sure. I I don't. I think these things play off the mind. Okay. I haven't done DMT, but I did my, my strongest hallucinogenic experiences were when I smoked a bunch of salvia while taking acid. And those were the moments where I truly lost myself for periods of time and genuinely saw shit. Like I was taking acid in a cartoon and they were really powerful, profound experiences. But at the same time, I recognize that, Dreams often feel really profound because they're pushing a button in your brain that says that they feel profound. You know, it's like this weird fucking this guy, Michael Swaim, used to always have this thing of like, would you rather watch a good movie or if you could take a pill that convinced your brain that you would watch a good movie? Isn't that just as good as having that experience? Yes. Mm hmm. I agree with that. Um, I agree with that. So what, what I mean, what ultimately shied you away from wanting to to do the DMT? Because here's the thing is that, you know, I've also partaken in quite a few of the uh, of the drugs. And, um, you know, we we discussed this in our general drugs episode was that um, stuff like acid, things like that. They don't really you don't really hallucinate. Right. It just it just gives you a different perspective. It gives you a different lens to view the world. Right. And that's, that's basically what you're saying is that, you know, you just it it, it doesn't change that you're looking at a field of flowers it just changes how you view that field of flowers right um but dmt is just a whole nother beast it seems like uh it seems like these people actually like physically leave and and go somewhere i mean they, they, they talk about entering portals and entering the world now the thing is is that they all um talk about seeing these specific creatures and not just like so they do see different diff- different creatures however um when they enter this different world 
they'll see like, I don't know, a, a caterpillar man standing next to, you know, a cat person. And the caterpillar man talks to them. But then you have Joe Schmo, who also did DMT, and he saw both as well, except this time it was the cat person that interacted with them. I mean, do you have any type of opinion on that? Would you be willing to try it uh, one day to see if you have that experience? I, I would be totally willing to try it. I know me and my partner have talked about it a number of times. I think just me and her are both a little cynical about about those experiences. And I, I want to sure. be clear, too, of like some of the reason I'm cynical about drugs is because I had extremely unrealistic expectations of drugs. Like the, yep. the reason <laughs> I didn't want to do DMT is because sometime around 20 or 21, I recognized that no matter how much DMT I do, I'm not going to be telekinetic. And that okay. bums me out, yeah. you know? Yeah. And yeah. and there's a degree of that's the only reason I was fucking doing it. I was doing these drugs because I read this fucking comic book that said we'd be X-Men and have cool mutant powers and like money wouldn't matter. We'd just travel the world and have crazy adventures. 100%. And instead, I'm just kind of a depressed guy without a girlfriend who's super high. That's me at 20. <laughs> that was me at 20 as well. <laughs> 100 percent oh my god that was that was me at 20 as well that's so funny well yeah I mean, you know and I, is- I, I definitely don't want to knock the fact that you have a, a degree of skepticism and i just i do want to remind the listeners and pretty much anybody that gets into this kind of weird world is that you know a huge part of my job is being a skeptic you know i i have to prove because i, I believe in all of these things that are very fringe and very out there, but I believe that there's a way for us to prove them with science. So when somebody comes at me with a claim, like maybe say they have the largest dick on the planet, and <laughs> this is a callback to a previous guest, um, but if somebody comes at me with a claim, I have to deduce what it is at first, right? So I have to go through all the avenues of what we naturally know in order to find you know, something else. And then once I find out, listen, this doesn't fall in any category of any known science, then now we can start talking about science that we haven't even discovered. Um, but no, I, I definitely, I do appreciate the, uh, you know, the, the look and the outlook and the, uh, the insight for me to take with me because I am making a, a documentary on DMT with Pat actually. So. Well, we were going to videotape ourselves taking it and see what happens. I I've, I've kind of cleaned up my act a little bit, uh, because like you, I realized that, um, you know, there was an expiration date for kind of doing that stuff and expecting worlds to open up to you. And uh, I drank the Kool-Aid, the Invisibles Kool-Aid, and kind of tried to go down as far as I could with it. And, I mean, there's even kind of a uh, a warning in there when uh, at the end of the um, first trade paperback, when uh, Marcus Desaad comes out and he's in that, uh, uh, like, S&M bar in um, San Francisco and they're talking to the dude in the get mask and they're talking about how, uh, you know, acid was supposed to change the world and it was just another vehicle that people abused because they were hoping that would do all the work for him. You know, everyone thought that, you know, Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters, we were just going to hop on this bus and drop this acid and the world was going to change around us and it was people trying to avoid doing the work themselves. And that's the thing is that the, these drugs can show you um they can show you the door but they're not going to walk you through the door that's up to you and if you want to change the world you have to be the change that you want to see in the world and it's 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 a lot more complicated than just getting high a whole bunch and uh, you know i i kind of did uh a number on myself like you were talking about with the depression and shit i had done a lot of ecstasy that was like kind of the big thing up here and 
ecstasy up here was was cut with heroin a lot so you would roll your fucking face off and then you would go through opioid withdrawals you'd have lockjaw the next day and you couldn't fucking talk you know and uh it was a good time and you know you'd be just rolling your fucking face off and then you then you'd you'd fucking you'd crash and uh you know when i started all that i wasn't single but it didn't take long for me to become single because i was fucking crazy you know if i wasn't higher than fucking squirrel nuts i was i was depressed and like moody and crazy and and just not in a good place you know and and you know after high school those are tough years anyway because you're trying to figure out what the fuck happens next and the amount of drugs that i was pumping into my system and the, the number i was doing on my brain was not good and you know newsflash like i hate you know or i guess spoiler alert's a better way to put it um no i never became an invisible <laughs> i'm just a fucking dude now you know and and i never became a superhero and as much as i tried and as much as i you know tried to use that comic book as a fucking instruction book it never happened. Um, not to say that I didn't learn a lot. Not to say that I didn't have some good times. And well, uh, at know. the same time, though, like there is something weird going on here, you know? Because like I'm like meeting those guys through the mob cast. That's changed things for me. Like interacting with those guys and getting to know them. And like I can't tell you how many experiences I've had in the shop. Like that's my fucking book that I push. I've pushed it to a lot of people over the years. And sometimes people come back and they'll say of like, like you probably don't remember me, but seven years ago you sold me the invisibles and my life changed for a while. And I, it's weird. My mom always had this thing about fucking slow magic that everything fucking takes so much longer than you think it will, but that doesn't mean it's not happening. And there are points where you and I are having these conversations, even some of our interactions just on Twitter and shit where it's like, is this it? Like, is it, is some of it starting to fucking unravel in a weird way? I not, not unravel, almost like connect the opposite of that. I, you know and I mean? At the same time, like we're not, we're not doing cool super powered shit, but like, I don't know, maybe we can make cool art and that's good too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not downplaying the influence that that book had in my life. I just think that I, I, I I'm, I, I'm I'm with you. Like I realized that it wasn't going to be as easy as I as I hoped it was. And you're right. I mean, I, I I still celebrate that book, and I'm I'm. It was a part of my life, you know. And it's it trying to show it to Asher's, and she was like, I don't know, I don't read comic books. I'm like, ah, but it's not that, you know. And and there are so much of it, so much of the stuff that was in there that you're right, slow magic, that that it feels like it's coming to fruition now. You know, it didn't happen in 2000. It didn't happen in 2021 or 2012 um but i feel like that thing's more relevant than ever you know and with my interest in dmt and you know doing the documentary and stuff and when my ears perked up when you mentioned it is that that is something that i think that i would come out of retirement for not that i'm in parting retirement but um you know i feel like that's that's something that it's got my interest again to where I kind of want to check that out, you know, and, and I'll be honest, a lot of it too is just the logistics of it. It lasts a half an hour as opposed to 13 hours, 14 hours, you know, and I don't have as much free time on my hands as I used to. You just want to get in there, get the trip and get the hell home. Get in there, meet the aliens and then, yeah, get home in time for a uh, letter, Kenny. <laughs> oh, that does sound nice. 
I think uh, I think we're gonna eat some mushrooms sometime in the next week or so. We fucking uh, we. It wasn't a bad experience, but we did that thing of like, let's eat mushrooms and then watch a terrible movie. And we watched the third crow and like, yeah, it turns out that's a terrible movie. That's such a bizarre pick. Next time, I think we're going to do Speed Racer. Oh, man. I tried to rewatch that recently. It's it's fucking trippy as ball still. You know, I can't wait for that new Matrix movie. I'm very interested to see where they go with that franchise. Oof, I mean, that's another like, like I, it almost came up a few minutes ago when I was like, man, I shouldn't even mention the fucking Matrix because we don't have the time to get into all of that. But like, I, I want to be excited about the fucking new Matrix, but I, I saw the other two, you know, like it's, it's so fucking hard to have faith in something that shit the bed so badly. Well, I don't, I don't malign the second one the way some people do. I thought the second one was okay. The third one, I felt like they didn't have enough material for two more movies. You know what I mean? I felt like the third one really like wore out its welcome. That whole opening scene with the key master on the subway station, whatever the fuck that was, they should have, they should have just made the second movie like three hours long and brought in the mech suits and then called it a day um they really dragged it out too much but uh i don't i guess i don't i don't hate the sequels i really like the animatrix you know i revisited that fucking great yeah i revisited that not too long ago and i love that and uh i was a big fan of sensate i don't know if you ever caught that that was their netflix series Um, no no i uh i had weird feelings about j michael straczynski i fucking I hate the way I pass through all of these things of like, oh, that show sounds really cool. Yeah, I know two things about that writer, so I didn't watch it. <laughs> not to say there's anything like he's not a fucking creep or anything. I just don't care for J. Michael Straczynski. It's sort of like the Damon Lindelof thing. He's, I'm not saying he's a fucking piece of shit or anything. I just don't want him talking to me for two hours. Okay. you did, you, So you, you didn't watch the Watchmen uh, series? No, but I also... Uh, <laughs> okay i uh a few years ago uh one of my co-workers gave me a shirt that said alan moore's number one fan and i try to wear it with a certain degree of pride uh what the fuck even my store was at one point voted you know fucking local papers have their shitty like hey top 10 places for this and my comic shop got rated the number one place to read alan moore comics so i like to think that i take my alan moreness pretty seriously um and i do have a real like yeah, man, I won't. It's that's a that's fucking that's stolen material. Like I don't you don't touch something that was supposed to be like like it's it's doomed. It's all fucking it's cursed land. Even when it's good, I think most of the people who worked on that show are wonderful human beings and I wish them really good careers and I wish I could have fucking indulged with it. But yeah, man, it's a real like fucking fucking pigs a filthy animal and I don't fucking dig on swine. <laughs> <laughs> I I can appreciate that uh level of fanaticism, I guess. <laughs> it's unhealthy. Maybe, that, maybe let's, that's let's not the right word to use. No, 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 because I was never a huge Alan Moore fan, so I, I didn't oh. feel that way. And the fact that he turned his back on it, or not turned his back on it, but just said it, the comic was what it was, and we're not going to do sequels, and we're not going to do spinoffs, we're not going to do all this shit. And the fact that DC did him anyway is kind of, you know, you know, unfortunate that they have the right to do that with someone's intellectual property. Um, and I heard those comic books were absolutely abysmal and I, I, I never picked them up or read them. Um, but There's the, a- the TV show, I, I, I enjoyed 
and I'll just leave it at that. I'm not going to try to sell you on it because I think that's a lost cause. But no, and I didn't, and I don't want to ever take anything away from anybody. Like there was no part of me that was like, oh, that fucking bullshit show and its bullshit message. Like no, it looked great. It looked like all the people who worked on it worked really fucking hard. It's there is just a like. Oh, I'm sorry. I fucking cut my hand and bled and promised servitude to this wizard 20 years ago. So I still can't watch your show, HBO. But you know, what's crazy is that uh, it's, I, I didn't even really pick up on the irony of this until right now. But Damon Lindoff refused to do a sequel to it because he felt that like, because, you know, obviously that show came out and it was critically acclaimed and everybody loved it. So, of course, they immediately went a second season. And he was like, no, we did everything we needed to do with the first one. We're just going to leave it alone. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds fucking familiar. <laughs> Weird, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, that lines. would also open us on to having a larger conversation. Did you, and I shouldn't even fucking ask this, because we're pushing on to fucking almost two hours, but like, did did you watch Lost? No, I dated All girls right. that watched Lost. So <laughs> it, was always, it was always on in the background, uh, but I never, I never really got into it. I remember the... Um, the reveal that they had to go watching the episode where you realize that they're already off the island and they're at like the the wake for uh john and you know uh what's his name the guy we need to go back we need you to know? go back kate yeah yeah like i remember uh, seeing that being like holy shit and like thinking that was like next level storytelling um i tell you but- matthew fox right then and there i mean not right then and there but like like that era would have been a really good Cyclops. Yeah, I could see that. Just, just, I just like to throw that out there. He's too old for it. None of this has any meaning now, but I still like to keep that alive. Well, Hank, thanks for coming out. Yeah. Us. Hey, thanks for having me on here. This was a lot of fun. Is there anything you want to plug? Give your socials and all that stuff. Please, the Twitter yeah. and the, the YouTube and all that stuff. All the important stuff I do is is through Death by Media Man. You can uh, find me like I'm whatever fucking HLH Patterson at Twitter, but like like the Death by Media Man, which you can go to deathbymediaman.com or you can look it up on YouTube or it has a Twitter account. Everything important I do, the videos, the writing, the comic books gets funneled through that. That's my little production company thing. Okay, perfect. Thank you for listening, guys. We do hope that you enjoyed this. Um, If you did, make sure you subscribe to the new People Who Make Stuff podcast anywhere you you listen to podcasts. And also um, be sure to leave a rating and review if you're listening on Apple or iTunes podcast. Um, And definitely let us know if you have things that that you make and you would like to be featured on the show. Feel free to contact either myself or Pat, which of course our social media links are always in the description. Um, If not, most of you already follow us on social media. Um, It really doesn't matter. We're both pretty open. Um, And, you know, hopefully we will bring you guys some more quality content in the future.